What's up, guys? Welcome to Governor's Podcast with your host, Matt Sartrick, and myself, Peter Fendra. It's a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot mission topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for all your comments, all your subscriptions. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for following us. We got a lot of stuff coming up for you guys. We're going to keep it on DL for now. But how's it going, Matt? Good. I'm having a great day. I'm ready to get the show started. And we have a special guest today. His name is um, Luke Zborek, and he is a medical student, not from this country. He's actually in Europe. He did his internship part in the United Kingdom, and he's finishing up his other part in Poland, correct? Correct. I'm done with medical school, though, so I'm not a student anymore. But you must feel excited, man. Yeah, it's great. So give us a little intro of kind of who you are, what you have been doing, you know, how you kind of decided to do your um medical students stuff and uh, what is it called in Europe? In Europe, yeah. So I'm, I'm from Chicago, so that's how I obviously know Matt and Peter. Uh, born in Chicago. I went, uh, did my undergrad at Northwestern. I did, had a math major and I did pre-med. So I combined my two uh, passions that I was interested in. And then I applied for medical school. Um, I had a few friends studying in, in Poland, in Kaku. So it was very enticing. Um, so I applied there. Uh, it was a lot cheaper. The cost was a very big factor for me, my family. Um, and I applied for a four-year program in English is, which is what we do in in the United States, four-year programs in medicine, um, which is different from Europe where it's a six-year program. Uh, so I did my medical degree in Poland. Um, I moved to the UK. I did part of my postgraduate internship as a junior doctor, as they call it, in England. I worked one year in the UK. Um, it was enough for me, and I'm, I'm finishing up my internship in Poland. I'm finishing up in, in, in less than two months. Um, so that's me uh, in a nutshell, and then I'm going on from there. So that's yeah, well, yeah, when did you become like a doctor? Was there like one event in your life that kind of wanted you to pursue the medical field or was it just, or did you just, just like the aspect of being a doctor? I think there's a lot of things that drew me to the field. Um, healthcare is obviously, um, as you guys know, you work in healthcare. It's a very fulfilling field. I like working with patients. Um, I was very interested when I was in undergrad. I did a lot of volunteering at a community health clinic. It was called Community Health in West Loop. Um, West Loop, West Town, um, you by uh, Ukrainian Village. So it was a good experience. I got to see a lot of patients, a lot of um, work with a lot of med students and doctors as an undergraduate student. So that kind of drew me into the field, um, the medical aspect, and then also interacting with other people, helping other people, um, just getting the full picture of of medicine so that kind of drew me into the into the field and, and you said that you had enough in England and you went to Poland to do that internship yeah. so what was like the biggest factor of being like man I gotta go switch countries in a way yeah I guess like England I liked living there um, um, they had a lot of stuff going on beyond the hospital um, the it's it's an interesting place um, for um, traveling and they have a lot of beaches and live music and um, their music scene uh, is really, really good out there, uh, nightlife and all of that. But in the hospital, I guess it was a very different system than it is in the U.S. and Poland. Um, there's a lot of factors that um, 
I guess the main thing being um, it's very understaffed in terms of uh, doctors and nurses. They lack a lot of doctors and nurses out there. Um, and then it was really chaotic. We were working on call and staying super late. Um, when our shift was ending, we had to stay like an extra hour, hour and a half on, on a regular basis just to get all the work done. And uh, there was a lot of factors. And I felt like the lifestyle, um, it, was, it was a bit chaotic and not worth it for me. I didn't see myself there in the, for the long run. So I, it was a good experience. And I got a, a lot of good training out of it, um, clinical training. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, doing bloods and putting in IV lines because we had to do that. The doctors were expected to do that instead of the nurses in many cases. So there was a good clinical experience, um, managing a lot of patients, sending, writing discharge summaries, um, admitting a lot of patients, managing wards and bays of patients. So I think it was in that regard, it was a good experience. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that part, but I decided it was time to move on after one year. What are some common issues that you like saw in England or you, or you see in Poland? Uh, common issues mm -hmm. in terms of working. Um, I would say, yeah, some of the staffing issues were really big. Obviously in Europe, in, in the UK, healthcare is free. So everything, um, they get, you know, all the patients, you don't have to pay for anything. Uh, when you go to the ER, when you get scans, x-rays, CT scans, it's all free. So um, so that's a big difference, I would say. And um, so, yeah, the, I think the level of care there was, it was a good level of care for the most part. But um, since it was a free healthcare system, there was not enough money going in. So there was not enough doctors and nurses and, um, and sometimes, yeah, supplies and things like that. So. Did you see a lot of people come in that naturally didn't have to see like a, like a doctor? They just came in just just because it's free and they had that opportunity to come in. Yeah, yeah, I saw that a lot. It was the emergency room was clogged with people that came in for like random stuff. Like we had one guy. I still remember this case. He came in because he had problems uh, during defecating. He had pain with uh, giving stools, and he's like, "Yeah, it kind of hurts a little bit." On a scale of one to ten, how much does it hurt? Maybe one or two. <laughs> so my senior, my doctor I was working with, he was like, this guy needs to go. He needs to go see his GP. He's not, he's clocking up our um, emergency department. It's not necessary. So things like that were kind of. Have you worked with any nurses in the United States when you were here at all? Um, a little bit. So when I was still a medical student, a while back, a few years back, I did a few electives in, in the United States. I did a couple in Chicago at Loyola and UIC, and then I did one in Tennessee. So I worked a little bit with the nurses. Um, and would yeah, you, I had a good experience you, with them overall, I would say. Would you, uh, you better have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say, can you notice a difference in nursing compared to United States, like UK or Poland? Um, a little bit, I would say probably the UK and the US nursing system is very similar, um, in, in some respects, but I think the big, big, big thing that I noticed in the UK, which I was shocked when I went there is that some of the nurses that work there, not all of them have, 
um, certifications to take blood samples and to put in IV lines. So you had different levels of nurses. In England, they called them like band one, band two, all the way up to band five or six. And um, you would have to ask them, do you have papers or certification to take blood or put in an IV line? Do you have one? Do you have the other? Just to make sure. And if they didn't have it, you would have to take the bloods and, and put in the IV lines. So it was really, you had a lot of stuff on your plate and then doing all of this other stuff made it really chaotic. So yeah, I think that was the main difference. The main difference. Yeah, because I can't imagine like me calling physicians to put a put like a peripheral IV in. Like, like no way. That would that would never happen. Like I'm sure physicians, some physicians do it just to like help out, but like I feel like that's something that we just take like as a standard practice. Like we're nurses, we should be able to put IVs in. Yeah, exactly. Did you notice yeah. anything different with like school? Because you both went to Northwestern and then you did school in the UK. In terms of schooling abroad. Yeah, like is there like are the classes kind of the same? Are they like taught the same way? Any kind of like differences? Um, I would say it's it's um, fairly similar. Um, although what I did in the U.S. was undergrad, and over there I, I did medical school. I mean, here in in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would say um, it's it's fairly similar. Um, I would say during your like third and fourth year in in the U.S., you have a lot more. Um, clinical work you have a lot of a lot more clinical um, experience I would say and mm. in Europe it's more theory it's very heavily theory based mm. in your in your schooling I would say interesting so, hopefully nurses from this show don't go to Europe now because they get to find out that they don't got to draw their own blood out there yeah that's actually specifically in the UK in Poland the nurses are amazing mm. like they get all the IVs they get all the bloods and you know like doctors in, in Poland, in the U.S. as well, they probably they de-skill in, the, in taking bloods and cannulas or IVs because they never have to do them because the nurses are so good mm. in, in the U.S. and Poland. So how is healthcare like in Poland? Because I've, I've, I've been to a hospital once there that was while I was on vacation. I had very bad stomach pains. Instead of doing a CT scan, this guy wanted to do an EDG right away. You know, meaning for those that don't know, put a freaking um, camera up my down my esophagus to see what's going on. So I refused that, and I was like an observation for a day, and I just signed myself out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess it, people have different experiences, um, but the hospital I work at um, sometimes, yeah, I would say in the emergency department they do a lot of you know, the standard CT scans and x-rays and all of that. Um, I don't know why the guy, he may, maybe suspected like an upper GI bleed and he wanted to go straight for the, for the <laughs> scope and see where the bleed is. So he didn't want to mess around with the C CT scan. So maybe he had some sort of strong um, suspicion of an upper GI bleed. But I think uh, overall, it's, you know, it's, it's not, you know, the same as the U.S. or, um, there's some differences. Um, it's a free healthcare system as well here in, in Poland. So the patients don't pay for anything. Um, so again, you know, you don't have that inflow of money coming in as in, in America where you have health insurance and a lot of people paying in a lot of money into the healthcare system. Um, so sometimes, yeah, you might have to wait a little bit in the emergency department. Um, and things do, like that. Do you but think they're more? 
I'm sorry. Do you think they're more cautious with the giving out tests in that case? You, you know, cause there's an ER doctor, for example, he's known for everybody gets a CT scan, you know, is it a little bit different in Poland because of this open healthcare where doctors are hesitant to maybe draw labs or do tropes or whatever the case might be in like any expensive tests? Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, blood tests and tropes, they do it quite readily in the hospital. Uh, for imaging tests, I would say, um, if, yeah, if you have someone coming in with a loss of consciousness and, and you know, um, head injury trauma, they do a CT scan right away. So it's not different. Um, but I guess you can say that in some cases, they're a bit more cautious about what kind of test they do, um, especially in England. I saw this in England all the time. They were very, very cautious with what tests they would do because they, they, they wanted to be as cost efficient as humanly possible. So they were really, really cutting it close in England, like in many cases, what I noticed when I was there, like, don't do this test unless it's absolutely necessary. We have to save the hospital, you know, costs. We have to cut back on costs. We have to do this and that. So it was a very common theme over there. Um, so I would say it's a little bit different in Europe versus yeah. the U.S. in that respect. I guess no matter what health system you have, there's always cost cutting going on everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's yeah, government run it's, or, or it's private. Common. It's common. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I was going to ask him, but I completely blanked out. So, so a really good question. Yeah. I'm wondering, other than like the fact that it's an open healthcare system, what else do you think is a huge barrier for healthcare for your job? What, what is the barrier that causes you to have an issue? Like, damn, I can't do everything I want to for this patient. What's like the hurdle that you have experienced? Um, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of factors, but like you said, um, yeah, some of the imaging tests, ordering all of that, um, also like making sure your patient has good follow-up care in the community. Um, so it can be, it can be difficult for like older people, um, to have care at home and things like that. So just like things in the community, um, they have community nurses and all of that to help patients that are stuck at home or people that need help with wounds, uh, dressings of, of their wounds and, um, you know, INR checks, people on warfarin and stuff like that. But like, I guess some of the social aspects, old people and nursing homes and care and things like that outside of the hospital. So follow-ups and like prevention medicine in a way, yeah, right? That's yeah, neglected exactly. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced like uh, anything with like the virus? Like how do you how do you guys treat it if you've if you dealt with it? Is there like a PPE shortage? How is like that doing in Poland? I think um, overall, I was surprised uh, we weren't that hit um, as bad as other countries. So Poland was um, they took they took things really seriously. So in March they had a full lockdown. And, um, yeah, they shut everything down. The border was shut down. Uh, we didn't have any tourists coming in. Uh, you couldn't even go from one county to another county. Um, you were basically stuck within your own states or county. You couldn't move and travel freely through Poland. Uh, so you, it was very, um, the quarantine was very strict um, enforced. So if you, if you had COVID or if you were in quarantine, you would have, it was very advanced. I was surprised. You would have a, a, a couple of things. You would have a police officer come visit you every day and check up on you, make sure you're at home, or 
the other option, most people had this. You had an app on your phone where you had a location setting on this app and they would track your location. So you would get a message from the police or from the health um, health agency and they would basically ask you, um, please, um, please send us a picture of yourself in one or two, like one to five minutes. And you would have a picture of yourself at home and you would have a, you know, you would have a picture or something that they would know that you're at home. They would, you, they would receive this photo. They would have your location as well on the app. So they would know, okay, this person's at home. Okay. So we don't have to go check up on them. Wow. You know, Man, that's so, crazy. Holy shit. Yeah. It's about privacy. I mean, sorry. It's a talk about privacy. Like, holy shit. Out the yeah, window. exactly. So yeah, it was, uh, it was intense. I didn't, I didn't have to quarantine or do anything like that, but I've heard from, from people that this was the case. So we had very little cases on um, the hospital. So in Krakow, they built a brand new university hospital. It's the biggest hospital in Poland. They built it in December of last year. So it was perfect timing. So as soon as COVID hit, this brand new hospital was ready to go. And they made it this hospital, the designated COVID hospital for, for uh, Krakow. Um, so it was good in that respect. PPE was, um, they, they may, there may have been some shortages at the beginning, but over time, there was enough masks and gloves and gowns and everything was, it was, it was pretty good. I would say it wasn't that crazy as in other places. What, what's the treatment modalities that you guys have been implementing for COVID? So my question is for a regular patient that is just having flu like symptoms and then somebody a little bit more severe. Uh, Cause I, I worked in the ICU for three months. So we did anything from, you know, uh, remdesivir, clinical trials, IV, mm-hmm. I think that was um, Sarah Mulab, whatever. So that was the medication that was getting clinically tested to prevent the cytokine storm. Then there's the Plaquenil, of course, with azithromycin. So I'm curious on how you guys have been, you know, treating the virus out there and things like that. Yeah, so the hospital I worked at, we didn't have any COVID patients. Um, all of them were sent to the designated hospital. Um, so I didn't uh, work on any COVID patient uh, wars with COVID patients or um, it was all in one hospital. So I didn't have that much, didn't have that much exposure with COVID patients, luckily. Um, But yeah, they would do supportive treatments. Obviously stay at home if, you know, you're not feeling very unwell. If you would be unwell, they would send you to the hospital. Obviously you would have the ICU ward, the internal medicine ward. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what stage they were with trying out different drugs, like you mentioned, the monoclonal antibodies, the antiviral drugs. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's a changing field and it's developing rapidly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. How is like the lockdown going over there? Is there, because here in California, it's, it's well, not here, we're in Chicago, but in California, it's still a lockdown. So you can't, you can't do gyms. Restaurants are barely open day to do a curbside pickup. But here in Chicago, you could, you could go to a gym because you got to wear a mask. You can take it off when you're there. You could go to restaurants, but you got to, you know, maintain six feet distancing. So how is, how is, how is lockdown over there? Is stuff still closed? So it was fairly closed in March, April, May. And then in May, they started opening up. So in June, all, I think it was June or July, all the gyms were open. All the restaurants are open. Um, you know, bars are open, everything's based, even, um, yeah. So a lot of places, even some of the clubs, they've rebranded as cocktail bars. So they're open. 
So everything basically opened up recently. Um, they opened up the border. So there's people coming in from different countries, tourists and all of that. Um, but we've had a spike in cases. We've had a lot of cases recently this month and end of July. So we'll have to see how things go. If it doesn't go down, they might have to impose a lot, another lockdown or step down on the scale of, um, on the scale that we've been using to, to monitor, um, yeah, the situation. Are the, are masks still required everywhere? Masks are only required in restaurants, um, in hospitals, in buses, in public transportation, churches, things like that. So in public, you don't have to wear a mask. And no, no one wears a mask. Um, if you're out and about in the evening or, you know, by restaurants and different venues, every, like, people are not wearing masks. So it's very different. Okay. Have, do you pay attention to like politics at all? Because we have an election coming up in here and Poland just had an yeah. election as well. Are you, yeah. uh, are you in tune with that kind of stuff? Uh, a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't been following it that much, but some people were saying, yeah, like the numbers were looking really good before the election. And then afterwards, you know, you had a lot of cases, but uh, I think it's because they opened up a lot and, you know, a lot, um, there's a lot more people moving around and less restrictions and things like that. I'm, I'm sure Polish people have their own little conspiracy theories that this happened. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're definitely out there. There's a lot of conspiracy theories, as with anything and everywhere you go, right? So, so what do you think is going to be your like next step when it comes to residency or whatever? Like, do you want to just be a medical doctor, family practice? Do you have like a plan on maybe specializing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm the bit yeah. So it's um. I'm debating uh, working on contract for a little bit um, right now in October. So we'll see. Uh, that's one of the options. Um, residency wise or longer term, I'm thinking of um, family med, emergency med, so primary care more or less. Um, so yeah, that's the next step I would say. And we'll see where, cool. where that is. Yeah. Do you do nights now or do you do days or do you have like a rotating schedule? It depends. It rotates. It's usually days and, and evenings are not no nights at the moment. Luckily. Luckily, man. Freaking yeah. working. Nights are man. nights are insane. And are you there every day? Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Damn, I can't imagine being nights every day, like three, three nights a week. I could do But if I had to do like four nights or five nights, I'd be. Yeah. yeah in England, that was very common. You would have nights like five or six days in a row four, five, six days in a row, like crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's insane. I've known some, some residents there that were working on contract as well. And they would be doing nights um, for a whole month, just four nights, five nights a week. And just crazy, like these rotas and schedules were really intense. Yeah. And the, the family medicine route that you want to go into, does that involve like you having your own clinic and having like your own patients? Yeah, it's more of an outpatient setting um, where you work in a clinic, um, outpatient, see your own patients. Um, but yeah, you, you can do a few things with that. Um, you can combine it a little bit with emergency med. You can combine it with sports medicine, see mostly like patients that are athletes or like high school athletes, things like that. Um, yeah, especially if you're in a rural setting, you can do more more with that. Mm -hmm. um do like scopes and gi things and um like you guys were mentioning earlier yeah. like colonoscopies and all of that so there's a lot 
Is there something you would, you would change um, in your profession if you can, or someone that that you kind of preferred somewhere else, like in the U.S. or U.K.? Anything that you dislike about your field, basically? Okay. Uh, anything. I think there's a lot of paperwork, a ton of paperwork. So you have to get used to that. Um, so you spend a lot of time in front of a computer screen or in front of your paperwork and less time with your patients. Um, so I think that can be um, that can be a bit difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, it's important uh, to have clinical experience. So for people that are, you know, students or getting into medicine, it's obviously important to see as much as possible and kind of get a scope of what the job looks like. So I think that's really important. I, I think ER is one of those um, fields for MDs that like, the, don't they have a scribe usually that, that follows them when they're seeing the patient and they're typing everything out and all the doctor does is just signing it? Yeah, it's really common in the U.S. Yeah, they have that. So in the U.S. you have scribes and uh, especially, like you said, emergency medicine, you have um, special devices that you can record uh, your patient notes. So I saw this a lot in, in the US. Um, I was working with an orthopedic surgeon and every operation is very similar, you know, knee replacement, hip replacement, it's, it's the same, same procedure. So they just kind of say um, the whole procedure to this recorder and you don't have to type it up. So it makes life a lot easier. Some of the recorders have preset um, prompts that fill in, that you just fill in with patient information and things like that, so it makes it quicker. Um, so I think that's good, it's helpful. They don't have that as much in Europe. I haven't seen it that much. What's like one of the craziest cases you've seen? Uh, craziest cases I've seen? Yeah. Um, story time. <laughs> a story time? Yeah, or just one you enjoy doing. Does that necessarily be crazy? Um, I guess in, in the emergency department, you see a lot of, um, you see a lot of, um, people, a lot of crazy things going on. So, uh, you know, you have your, um, people with alcohol problems, people that are high on drugs and you just, you just get different characters, um, different characters, um, a lot of car accidents, I would say, um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to think of one. Uh, one patient, but um, have you have you been seeing a lot of codes as well? Uh, we had a couple codes, yeah. Um, there was one guy that uh, arrested a few weeks ago, a couple, a few months ago, and um, an older patient and the nurse. I think at first she thought uh, she thought the patient was dead, and, and the senior comes and he's like, "He's not dead." Well, you know, what are you talking? You know, like what's going on? And then we ran the code and. Um, we, we brought him back like in five minutes, six minutes. So it was really, um, it was really, it was a great, you know, it was a good experience. Every time you can get a patient back, it's fantastic. Do you know how they, how they re recuperated? Like, have you um, looked look back on them? How they, how, how they are post code? Cause a lot of times like we feel great that we like revived this guy, like perfect. We did like a five, 10 minute code and, and he's back. Yeah. But then like a lot of times for me, it's like you, you look back on the patient, you're just like, damn, this guy has been in the hospital now for, for a month and, you know, with a, with a hypoxic brain injury and there's nothing that we could do about it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happened to this patient. All I know, he was really, he was stable after the code and he was fine. Um, and then I think he was sent home in a few days, but I oh. lost track of him, unfortunately. I hope he's doing well, but mm. yeah, it's, we, we have a high volume flow in, in internal medicine. Um, you see a lot of patients.
it's nice to kind of like see how they're doing sometimes. So we had a patient that was, I believe it was open heart and he coded at one point we brought him back and I was there as well, helping out. And a year later, the patient comes and visits the hospital and he's like, you know, like, what's up guys. And you know, um, Jess was there and she took a picture with them and she sent me the text message. I'm like, that's freaking awesome. That like, you know, a patient follows up and is thankful. And like, sometimes you need to hear those stories too, because, um, as you know, like burnout and everything else, we always talk about it, stress and mm-hmm. we're, we're just flying through patients. So are you, man? Like you, there's so many, like you just forget what happens and it's nice to like, remember, what happened or, Hey, they're doing great. Like we don't, we don't see that point. We just see sick. You wake up, you know, rinse, repeat sick again. You got to treat them. You don't hear the awesome stories of they're doing great. Exactly. I think that's so important to have that closed loop and follow up with your patients because then you get to see um, the effect of your hard work and that it really pays off. And I think it's so important. I a hundred percent agree. And it gives you a lot of motivation too. Every time you have a story like that, it, it makes you more motivated to go in and work and yeah. help people. And, um, yeah. What do you, what do you do to like de-stress? I'm sure you, you know, get tensed up with everything that happens. Like, where do you, how do you find your free time to just kind of unwind from everything? Yeah. So I think well-being is very important. Like you guys always stress in your programs. Um, so I try to, I try to um, exercise a lot. So gym membership, running, Uh, I play in the soccer league out here on the weekends. Um, So all of that really helps. Um, I have my like peaceful spot in my apartment. So just kind of uh, a peaceful area where I can de-stress and have some, have some time to myself. Um, So I think all of that is really important. Um, And and yeah, like having a healthy diet, um, doing all of these things just to stay uh, balanced and, you know, feel good and, and stay healthy and take care of yourself. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, sure, you know, here in the U S like obesity and cardiovascular disease are number one killers in, in the U S how is it in, in like Poland is like, can you maybe think of like some factors that don't make us prevalent? Like is, is the food different? Like are people just healthier in general? Is it, I think it's more of a genetic component or is it dietary? Is it more, more activity? Like what do you, why do you think Poland has less obesity and cardiovascular disease than like the U S I think, I think the food is definitely, um, it's really good out here. Um, it's, you have a lot of, um, a lot of food, fresh food, fresh markets, fresh farmer markets, um a lot of the stores you're gonna have um yeah a lot of fresh meats and vegetables and fruits and all of that is locally grown a lot of it um so i think that helps a lot diet wise um although obesity is still a problem here cardiovascular disease is is you know top of top of the pyramid when it comes to disease as well um and there's definitely a lot more fast food um, KFC, surprisingly, KFC is very popular in Europe and Poland. Um, I haven't seen so many KFCs in my life. I think really? as, as many as here. Yeah. I um, feel like I was. I feel like I just read your mind. I was just thinking about it. Have you guys like had KFC from freaking Poland or Europe? Like that should taste so good out there. Like even like McDonald's. Like it's the menu's completely different than like what we experience and eat here. I think it's a Polish thing because I know when I was younger, like. Uh, my parents never really ate fast food or they literally never ate fast food, but they would sell for like KFC and Popeye's. They always liked their chicken and like, they always liked the potatoes. Like they, uh, that's just, I'm not sure if it's like a, like I said, a Polish thing. We just like our chicken more than anything else. 
Yeah. They must, they must like it. It definitely caught on here. It's really popular. So it must be something, yeah, people here really like it. So um, I think that's a big factor. Um, well, what's sure. the schedule I got out of curiosity as you're, you know, doing your internship? Um, it, it depends. It's usually work, you know, in the morning, you come in, you see patients, you round, admit patients, um, do all of that. And then, You'll have shifts in the evenings as well, uh, sometimes on the weekends. Um, so it's usually Monday through Friday with some Saturdays, uh, some Sundays, um, but no nights at the moment. So, so it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite, um, quite manageable at the moment, I would say. And what about like the language barriers? So you were born in Chicago and everything. So English is your first language or second, potentially. Do you communicate with everybody in um, English or is it Polish out there? It's mostly Polish. You have, um, so everyone, yeah, you communicate in Polish, although most of the doctors here speak English pretty well. Um, so it's, it's, it's really nice um, to see and to, you know, have that um, possibility as well. Um, we have a lot of tourists as well. We have a lot of foreign uh, people that come in. Um, speaking of crazy stories that, you know, you guys were asking about earlier, we had um, a patient who was supposed to go back to England um, and they couldn't make it because they basically went into alcohol withdrawal syndrome. And they were basically, they came to, to Poland and um, before the flight, they stopped drinking and they had this crazy history, you know, alcohol use, abuse for 20 years of just insane amounts of drinking. And once he stopped for like three days, this guy went into full delirium tremens. Um, so he had DT, he had um, basically had uh, like seizures from AWS, the withdrawal syndrome. He was very, his liver was in bad shape. He was, he had jaundice, he was all yellow. Um, we, we had to, basically had to res, restrain him at one point because he was, he didn't really, he was not, um, he was not, um, oriented to himself or to the place or to time. He was, he was not, um, aware of his surroundings at all. So we had a crazy case with that. And, um, I think eventually they managed to stabilize him and, uh, and send him back on a flight, but it was insane. Like this guy was in a foreign country and he couldn't leave because he was in bad shape in bad shape with withdrawal syndrome is, is, uh, is you don't mess around with that. It's not, it's not nice. Yeah. AWS is, is rough. Like yeah. I've had a few AWS patients and like, like anything could, could happen. Like I've had an AWS patient that was, wasn't like horrible. He was an AWS, but he like slept the majority of the night. He didn't go all like, like crazy. He, it was like low key, AWS, you know, wasn't as exacerbated as some other people, but I actually had an AWS patient that, that fell on me and, you know, that was probably the worst day of my life being a nurse because you know how everything's like anti-fall and falling. It should be a nurse during protocol. Like yeah. nobody, nobody should fall. Like, yeah, but I also can't be in this guy's room all the time. Like, you know, like I don't want to put him in restraints because he was, he was doing pretty okay. He was starting to be coherent. And, you know, I decided, you know, taking a step back approach might, might help him more than like a head on approach. And, that failed. So now I don't fuck around anymore with strange. I just pop them in. Yeah. See, like I had a patient in San Diego, man, that we were, we had him in leather restraints. The guy okay. was in his thirties. He was going nuts, man. He, even at one point thought we were trying to kill him at security guards in there. He bit off his pick. He got a hold of it. 
Um, we do, we tried a phenobarbital. We tried Halba. We tried Ativan, like tons of them, man. We did our Presidex bolus, Presidex drip. This guy wasn't having it, so we had to, um, we had to intubate him for, the, for that reason. And yeah. it's kind of funny because like a month later, I seen this guy at Trader Joe's. He was, he was um, working the cash register. And I'm like, hey, what's up, man? I was like, you know, I'm a nurse. Yeah. I see you in a crazy shape of your life, man. But how probably are has, you, you know? Yeah, probably has no recollection of it happening at all. Like his hands were shaking. So it's either he was nervous because he seen me or he was itching for a drink because it's been probably, you know, 12 plus hours, whatever the case might be. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. That's crazy that you saw him outside and, you know, you had that interaction with your patients like that. But yeah, you probably didn't remember much from, from that episode. Probably not. And that's like the worst thing that like sometimes these people does don't learn their lesson, you know. I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of frequent flyers, right? And it probably upsets you because you're probably trying, you're trying to like Beat, beat the freaking, uh, like, I don't know, you're trying to, like, teach person a lesson that just, like, not having it. And you yeah. see man and stuff, like, do you feel like you try, like, hmm. Because you know that we talked about the unconscious bias. I wonder if there's, like, a bias where do, when you see your frequent flyers more, are you less attuned to giving them great care? Yeah. And it's, of course, you're going to say, I always give quality of care, but this is just, like, no bullshit. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think as a, as you know, as a young, young, you know, doctor and working, um, you still have a lot of energy and you want to help everyone and you know, you want to do your best. But I think some of the older doctors in the emergency room, they see a freaking flyer. They just want to get them out of there. and They don't want to mess around. They're like, you're back again. You know, yeah. what do you want? And you know, I'll stabilize you and go home and don't do it again. They'll come back again, right? And so it's a cycle; it repeats itself. But yeah, the older you get, the more you work. It's um, yeah, you get more. I feel like you get more um, tough tough skin. And you don't, and yeah, you just don't you you don't mess around that much. Yeah, yeah. patients like that. You have a question for us, Luke? Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you what's what's your you uh, you have a lot of big plans I hear and with your program and. What's, what's the next step with your vlog and, and, and podcast? Yeah, well, we're trying to go to California, or we are going to go to California because we're trying to do like a travel nurse, nursing vlog. Um, with, with that, maybe align with some travel nursing companies, maybe like, you know, we could work together, collaborate. We're also coming up with, well, we already have a ready and then collect study guide, like a, like a PDF format, like kind of like, like a book almost. Okay. And then we're also working on like Alexa skills. You know, some people could ask Alexa, or Alexa will ask them questions and, and they could answer multiple choice questions. Hopefully get that going at some point in time. We're thinking about doing like NCLEX courses that are creating like a more in-depth NCLEX, like study guide book, um, things like that. Just trying to grow in like every kind of nursing aspect for the most part. Going to do some live streaming. It's that the possibilities are endless, man. It's just finding time and just with time. Yeah. And especially being back home in Chicago, it's like, you know how like this whole culture thing works where like they expect you to do everything. Like I have technically three families like hitting me up for like the littlest stuff, like fix the internet, do this, go with me here. And you're always fighting for time. You're always fighting for focus. And I would love to put more and more time into it. And that's just, that's the name of the game or make some income and just start hiring people out because in order to grow, you, you know, you have only 24 hours in a day and you just yeah. have to, create more tentacles in your arsenal to offload these tasks and the little things that we're doing. 
Yeah, that's that's definitely key. Once you get bigger, you'll have to look into that, I'm sure. Yeah. Once you expand. Yep. Awesome. I thank you, Luke, for joining us. Is there? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Is there Instagram page you wanna? If people want to see more of you, I want to interact with you. Is there an Instagram page I could follow? Yeah, you can you can give the link at Luke Sporek uh, on Instagram and um, yeah, there's Facebook and other other things that I'm on. So if anyone has any questions um, about you know healthcare in in the U.S. and U.K. or in Poland and all these different countries, how the similarities, how the differences um, work out in these places, you can always ask me any other health uh, related issues. Um, you know, you can always hit me up. Diagnosing. Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, that's, that's actually a, one thing I forgot to mention. That's the next big thing is telemedicine. So um, one thing I wanted to say is now we see a lot of patients, especially at GP offices, you have um, visits via telephone. So the doctor, you know, the patient calls us and they say, I'm feeling bad. I have a cough. This is, you know, it's a wet cough or dry cough. You know, we ask them as much as we can, but because of COVID, uh, half of the patients in like a typical GP office are not seen in the clinic. It's all over, it's via telephone. And that's like the next big thing is um, telemedicine, video conferences, seeing your patients um, via video, like a Zoom setting is, is basically where this is headed. So it's a big field that's expanding very rapidly. So we'll see where that goes as well. So, how do you like, how do you like that? Do you, do you think that's a good idea or do you think it's like lead to some more misdiagnosis? Do you think that's going to kind of um, make hospitalization not as frequent, not as necessary? What do you think about that? Um, I think in some cases it can be helpful because um, some patients, you know, older people, it's very hard for them to go out of their house and, and um, see a physician, see a GP, see a nurse in the community. So um it's helpful for those people um, and it's helpful to see more patients that way and get the care they need. Uh, the one, one thing I'm worried about is COVID getting so much attention that you have people with silent MIs and people with strokes um, that some of them, for example, are, are scared to go to the hospital. There, I've, I've heard stories where people have um, heart attacks and they, they don't want to go to the hospital because they're scared of COVID. And you have all of these other health issues that are kind of being pushed to the side. So I think that is um, something that we have to pay attention to, other health issues, um, not getting as much attention these days. And, and maybe that's what telemedicine will do, where the person yeah. is going to feel comfortable sharing these little things. Exactly. And you're going to be able to ask more questions like, hey, if you push down, does it hurt more? And no. Exactly. Hey, well, then this is not reproducible chest pain. Maybe you should kind of come in. So that would be great. Or I don't know how far in the future this could be, but what if we have these smart toilets where you just kind of like pee and you know, you get an analysis of your damn urine. Right away, yeah, like, hey man, your freaking specific gravity is a little bit low. Like, you know, kind of come in or take an extra sodium tab. Like that'd be freaking sick. I mean, whether it's, yeah. whether it seems, I don't think it seems very affordable now. Yeah. Um, just like I think Bill Gates was trying to work on the first um, toilet in Africa where I think it takes poop and it makes energy or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, don't I, don't quote I, me on this one, man. I've never looked into um, making energy out of, out of poop in my life. But I mean, that would be pretty efficient, I guess. <laughs> if you could provide like electrical power just with you taking a poop in a toilet, that would be some fucking shit. Well, yeah, that, that's the problem yeah, in Africa, bro, you know? <laughs> so I think 
I think it was like, uh, it costs a hundred thousand to create this and they're trying to downscale it and they're trying to find other people to work with, to make these parts cheaper and actually produce a, you know, an effective toilet for this. Well, look at like DNA sequencing. Like when DNA sequencing first started off, it cost like tens of thousands of dollars, but then it slowly progressed with thousands. And now you, you could get it done for like some places will offer like your, um, like gene mapping, not really gene mapping, but like synthesizing your, your DNA for like hundreds of dollars. If, if, if that even like, like the onboarding of these new technologies is super expensive, but once you get better at making them and get better at doing them and they become more popular, you know, the, the cost dramatically decreases. It's just the, it's like the onboarding effect. That's how things tend to work, you know, for everything. Yeah. It's obviously expensive at the beginning. And then once you have scale and a lot of production, you can, you can make it a lot cheaper. So hopefully, you know, all of this stuff develops. There's a lot of stuff going on in biotech and we'll see. I think COVID is pushing a lot of this stuff forward too. Yeah. We have to innovate to get, get ahead and deal with the crisis. Right. So, so we'll see what happens. There's a lot of stuff going on in, in the future. So we'll see. Exactly. All right, Lucas, thank you so much for being here. Guys, yeah. make sure you check him out at Lucas Borek on Instagram and Facebook. And maybe one day at his clinic when he's uh, has his own clinic, hopefully you don't have to go there because then you're sick. You probably should have taken our advice sooner than, than later, but you never know. Exactly. Well, it was my pleasure speaking with you guys and catching up and I wish your show all the best and I hope you guys keep developing as you go forward and, and expanding and, you know, getting bigger and, and reaching more people and spreading your uh, information to nurses and healthcare personnel. I think it's really helpful. I think it's fantastic. Thank you, Lucas, so much, man. Chat soon. Chat. See you guys. Enjoy your evening.